I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now, welcome along to a Friday edition of the Huddle Breakdown. Enda, James and Alan with you here as we look ahead to this weekend's game against Motherwell on Sunday. It is the first game in I don't know how long. I don't need to keep repeating myself, but it is the first time in a long time that Celtic are starting a weekend not top of the table. So work to be done this weekend, guys. How are we? I'm all right. Good for a Friday morning. You guys getting me up this freaking early to record, I tell you. The sacrifices I make. Well, it's lunchtime here, Jim, so it's late <laughs> with us, you know, so it's... That's all right. Yeah. I didn't even get time. I, didn't even, I haven't even had time to put my makeup on yet. And that's the most important aspect. I'll just have to do a lot of editing to the video um, and post to make it look uh, nice and pretty. Um, look, it's um, it's a big weekend for Celtic, but there were was bigger news, I guess, in the world of Celtic uh, this week before we get into the preview of the game, and that's that Joe Hart is going to be retiring at the end of this season. I would say that most fans would have said that he would have, they would have liked Joe Hart to be replaced at the end of this season anyway. Plenty of people would have said they would have liked to see him replaced before this season, but we'll, uh, just, we'll pick that apart and the merits of that as well. But in terms of this news, Alan, it's probably expected, but I thought what was interesting was Joe Hart's words himself in that he almost felt like it was pressure from the fans that he didn't really want to uh, almost let down with his performances. It, it almost seemed like he knew himself, the fans wanted him to be, be replaced and to end any speculation of that, like a new goalkeeper coming, not coming into the squad at the end of the season, he started putting it to bed immediately. Well, I mean, like any top athlete uh, and one that's been historically as successful as Joe Hart, he, you never want to quit, right? So you never want to call it a day and you always think you've got another season in you. And and, and he may well do uh, somewhere. But um, I think it's a wise decision. I think he's quitting before he really kind of goes over any sort of form cliff. I mean, we've been speaking ever since he came in the door, really, about, first of all, his suitableness for, um, firstly, playing under under Ange Postacoglu, where there's a high demand to, to be a sort of sweeper-keeper uh, and also to... Um, you know, to be very effective with the ball at feet, but also really because you're filling the team with ball players um, and not necessarily prioritising, you know, massive height, you really want a goalkeeper that's going to be pretty agile and decisive aerially because 
um, you, you're going to expect them to take a lot of crosses and, and long, long catches and that sort of thing. None of those things really seem to be Hart's strong suit. Um, however, you know, in terms of you know a bit of a retrospective over what will be three seasons, is that he started off pretty much being what I would call a really solid goalkeeper. He pretty much made the saves that you would expect. I mean, towards the end of Craig Gordon's time, even he was he was a little bit erratic actually in terms of. If you look at sort of key metrics like goals saved compared to XG, and then the the, the stats bomb one goals saved above average, um, Hart has just been bubbling just up 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 or below uh, those metrics, which is which is decent. I mean, I mean, it basically it's basically say which is what I've always said about he sent essentially saves nearly all the shots you'd expect him to do, uh, but he struggles with the ones that are kind of um, outside his declining range of agility. Um, and, and if you look at his overall save percentage, which I know is, is not the killer stat that Sky Sports think it is, but he does have the lowest, um, you, you know, his save percentages are consistently in the 60s um, in his three seasons. Uh, it's actually 68% this season, which is his highest. But, you know, Foss, Forster was 76%. B- Bain in the eighteen nineteen season was 84%. Gordon in his good years was between sort of mid seventies, mid eighties percent. So uh, what that what that tells me, as I say, is he just isn't getting to the ones that are difficult to get to, and we saw that. And I think it, you know it cost us materially in the Champions League in in that sense. And um, again, if you look at his uh, the, what stats one called the positioning error rate, he's he's improved a little bit actually in the last couple of weeks. But he was the bottom of all the SPL goalkeepers by positioning error uh, error, which is really a measure of how how on average how many. I think it must be centimetres. He's he's away from the perfect position on each shot. Um, and he's improved a little bit, to be fair to him. So I think, you know, overall, there's a clear clear case that of, of decline. His error rate is going up as well. Um, and then another, another, another really fascinating feature about him is how rarely he sits when he saves the ball, he actually catches it. Um, so, I, you know, I capture what a goalkeeper does with the ball in terms of do they parry it, do they save it with their foot? Do they catch it? Do they tip it up in the air? I capture all of that, and he, he's he is consistently uh, apart from Barkas, bless him, he's consistently the lowest uh, of the goalkeepers we've had going back to twenty fourteen fifteen, who actually catches the ball in saving it. He he generally parries it, which which can be okay as long as you get distance on it and you parry it away from goal, but can be a concern as well. Um, and, that, and that again, that's something that was was kind of declining. So, all things considered, um, I think it's a wise decision. Um, I think he will be remembered very fondly for lots of non non measurable attributes, uh, just being a decent guy, being a, a great pro, being uh, someone who's a, a real benefit around the squad and as a senior member of that squad. And I think that's how he will be remembered as as the as Joe Hart the person, as Joe Hart the goalkeeper. He was okay. Uh, now I'm saying all that uh, with 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 a, with a caveat, which is that you know we're probably going to start looking back at the likes of Carl Stauffer in in in, in if, even this year and, and getting misty eyed about how steady he was in relation to where we are today. So let's be careful what we wish for is all is, is how I'll finish it. But you know, great guy, great pro, um, brilliant asset around the place, um, and he did pretty much what he was paid to do. Mm. Yeah, James, I think that's probably what makes Joe Hart so difficult to analyze in any sort of 
completely measured way. I don't think there's a perfect way of analyzing Joe Hart's uh, career at Celtic because, I mean, from a purely football perspective, he didn't really make sense to the Ange Postacoglu uh, system. But then he was brought in for that intangible leadership that I know that you don't believe is given, you believe that it's given too much weight in regard to what it actually means. But in that season, it did seem like a very important aspect of the building of relationship with Ange Postacoglu, the experienced head, when there's so many new players coming into the team that he was just there as a little bit of uh, solidity at the back. And then from a goalkeeping perspective on the actual pitch, he hasn't been bad. It's just that he will never continue to progress, which is ultimately the the failure of the signing of Joe Hart, the short-term nature of that. You get the, the good in the leadership in the first season, but then everything after that, once you have betted in the other players, it's sort of a regressive way of thinking of bringing in players because eventually the other players are leaders and this player is no longer progressing. So you're going to need to think about replacing him after two to three years anyway. So... I find myself a little bit stuck on Joe Hart. I think obviously the first season under Ange, it turned out to be a stroke of genius. It re- worked really well. But then from that point onwards, you're still consistently looking for a new goalkeeper. So that's sort of, we're still back at that point now. I think I think Hart, and I, and I, I don't want to go in two-footed uh, this week because on, on Hart in particular, because of the things that Alan said. I mean, that, you know, I think he's been a good pro. He's generally been a good uh, person um, at the club and someone who I think collectively, and I speak for myself, I'm not going to speak for the entire support, but my sense is obviously, but my sense is that people have been uh, happy to root for him. He's been easy to root for kind of uh, character at the club. But I think he's also symptomatic of um, why we are where we're at over the last 10 years. <laughs> Uh, is and, and I, I put out I, I brought it up so I can reference it here. Uh, I, I did a you know kind of tongue in cheek but not really tongue in cheek uh, attribution a supporter performance attribution pyramid back in August, and uh, it basically flows downward that if Celtic win the league, the manager is a genius, recruitment has been great, and players are great. Ignore the board and ignore Europe, right? That's that's basically been the way that perceptions kind of flow. And then the, the counter to that is if we lose the league, the manager, manager's an idiot, should be sacked. Recruitment's been an abomination. Uh, players are, you know, gutless, uh, sack the board and ignore Europe. <laughs> right. So I, I think uh, Hart's tenure encapsulates uh, that player, yeah, that kind of supporter attribution. And my criticism of the club is that the level of sophistication at the club has been far closer to a supporter than uh, a modern, um, you know, sporting enterprise. And so, you know, there are the measurables and there are the things that we can't measure. And by measurable, and this is an area that I've focused on because I think that, and I've said this before, that keeper play is one of the um, most uh, uh, arbitrageable in the sport with the adoption of kind of more advanced data and advanced analytics, meaning that I think it's 
probably um, the area where there's the most room for clubs that are kind of smartly deploying this stuff to, to get marginal gains. And um, so I, I think, you know, um, Hart's tenure, the, the measurables are such that we did not get all that much of an improvement by signing Joe Hart. Uh, his, his shot keeping, and again, this is not in isolation. I mean, the last time uh, Hart was probably a keeper of a level that we probably should be recruiting was seven to eight years ago. And that's theoretical. Like I, you know, that, that would be the, the last time that we should have been recruiting somebody like him. Um, so I, I think his persona and the narrative around him is driven mostly by other factors. Um, and that if you just rip apart what he did on a performance basis, you know, he, he's basically who his prior tenure would suggest, which at Torino and Burnley, he was, you know, not a not a good not a a very good shot stopper. He's the talent's point. He's kind of somewhere around average to probably slightly below average. At Celtic, that doesn't get tested that much because you only face two shots a game, and you know you get wild swings. So, and I think the last two months is a good synopsis of that, which is to his credit. And again, the, so the, the 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 advanced data and the modeling. Uh, since the St. Mirren game on January 2nd show that Hart has performed very well. And I think that would align with the eye test that aligns with the narrative right now. And this news is kind of coming out with that tail uh, wind. But if you look at the prior month, he was objectively bad. You know, we, we, you know, he let in a couple of free kicks from distance, Hart's taverniers, um, so some other issues. So what happens is, you know, I always go back, it's confirmation bias, which is when he has a purple patch like he's had legitimately over the last um, six weeks, then, you know, he he's a good keeper and then, um, or he's, you know, a good shot stopper. But during periods where he hasn't had that, he kind of gets the, um, uh, you know, he gets the mulligan from from a perception perspective because when he did come in, he had two seasons of that kind of positive supporter attribution. <laughs> uh, so, and again, the, the talent's point, I mean, where, where this all falls apart is in Europe. Um, and, you know, th- this goes back to my, what I said years ago about, you know, the over-reliance on somebody like Brown's perception on leadership, which is... You know, that that correlated with us dominating domestically when we should have been dominating. And then somehow that leadership didn't work against Balda or Maribor or Copenhagen. <laughs> you know, it's like there was a um, somehow it was 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 uh, only a, a pl- applicable to domestically. So, um, you know, I Barkas was not going to be the keeper at Celtic. He's made that clear since he's departed. Uh I'm not saying that he's a quote unquote better keeper than Joe Hart, but the measurables are that we did not improve that much by signing Joe Hart, despite all the narratives, despite all of the, uh, you know, from, from the, the full three seasons, his shot stopping metrics are comparable to Barkas's. I'm not saying not, he's not a better shot stopper. I'm saying he's in the neighborhood of Barkas and the difference in perception, as I'm saying is largely down to narrative and confirmation bias. Um, because if you look at their records in Europe, they're not that much different. <laughs> you can go back and look at Barkas against, you know, Milan, which was his two 
you know, big um, games in Europe where we let in a, a ton of goals and he did not play well. Well, you know, I didn't see Joe Hart saving us against Real Madrid or, um, you know, any of the high end teams in Europe or even Bodo Glimp for, for goodness sake. Um, so that's, I, but I, the other thing to me, again, the most interesting aspect of this news to me, um, cause most of this stuff, I think analytically has been baked into cake, meaning that, I, you know, the supporter narrative and confirmation bias has been what it's been, um, is why did it happen this week? Right. I mean, th- this is not something that had to be announced this week. This was an elective, uh, disclosure. And I think that's self-evident because we're about to find out late on a Friday when uh, corporations announce news that they're not happy to release. Um, Usually it's bad news. That's the irony of this. (laughs) It's that in the prism of normal corporate uh, life, you announce like, you know, you had some accounting irregularities or you're, you're firing your CFO because of accounting regularities. That's what gets announced late on a Friday. And, um, you know, I suspect there's going to be a late on the Friday announcement today. Uh, and it's, you know, um, not going to be bad news from a, from a, a PLC perspective, but probably not well received, um, amongst the support. So I think that's the, probably the more interesting, um, aspect of this is the, the, the timing. Why do you think they're doing that then, James? <laughs> well, because they're going to get an absolute, you know, hammering. I, I, I suspect, given the PR wave that happened this week, I mean, it, was, it wasn't just hard, it was Arrowfield, it was, you know, profiling CCV and Johnston today. You know, independently, any of these things by themselves, you're like, oh, that's, that's, but all in. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not going to be surprised if. And again, just knowing a little bit about the numbers, I wouldn't be sort of shocked if it's a nine-figure cash balance on the uh, on the interim reports. Okay. I mean, so yeah, that, that all makes sense, right? But I suppose the question is why. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, so I, e, e Tim. E Tim's were speculating about. Oh, that. Yeah. Club, uh, being. I, I. I. I can't get anyone to verify that. To be fair, but then of course you. You wouldn't. You wouldn't, would you? I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. Nobody would. Nobody would confirm that. Um, so uh, you know, Barrowfield, Barrowfield, Barrowfield probably. That, uh, sorry, Alan. For anybody who hasn't seen that from E Tim's, they were speculating that the club was being uh, bulked up for sale. Is essentially that, that, that's it. That's it. Oh, it, it. Long contracts, stellar. I'm saying stellar in the sense of if you were an investor looking at the club as an investment opportunity, Brendan Rodgers is a big name manager. All the assets are tied down to, to long contracts. There's a load of cash in the bank. There's all these capital uh, projects that have been uh, committed to and the money's there. It just looks like a nice plump bird ready for the pot type of thing. Um, that's one That's one. One thing. That's one one. Uh, but you know, the, 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 whatever that, whatever, you know, we can speculate maybe about that. But it is speculation. Um, but what is absolutely true is, is to your point, James. One, we're not being told, and two, um, we're being fluffed with PR in the lead up to uh, to the announcement, which means that that generally means that people have got something to hide in that sense. So that's 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 all we do know, I think, right? Yeah, and I. Again, I, I, I'm not um, versed at all in UK um, tax law and that kind of thing. But generally speaking, in the world of corporate finance, um, 
you, you don't run your balance sheet the way that Celtic is to sell yourself. That that that's more so um, driven by other reasons, and I I take them at their word, uh, meaning that generally speaking. Uh, the cash buffer is there to because they don't want to use any kind of leverage. Which again, fair enough. There's again from a corporate finance perspective, there's some uh, reasonable disagreement on the uh, the balance sheets not being run efficiently because of that. I mean, a little bit of debt at times can actually be more efficient from a financial perspective. And again, I don't know what the tax deductibility of of uh, interest payments are in the UK, so that that may not be the same. Um, uh, in detail, but um, normally a bloated balance sheet like this attracts corporate raiders. Actually, you know th- this would be um, that would be the the situation where you know uh, Richard Gere's um, uh, character and Pretty Woman comes in to buy the the company to strip the assets and and ba- you know it's like an overfunded pension fund or something like that that yeah. you have this excess cash. But so I I, I mean I'm not saying through right. Yeah, to to me, it's more like the more likely, um, in my mind, impetus for why Celtic would be get sold is that Desmond just says this isn't worth a headache, you know. And, and I and I could see that scenario playing out, particularly with what's hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Going on with, um, you know, the politics that we, we referenced last week. I mean, a guy like Desmond, who's a jet in the jet set crowd, um, is going to encounter people that's different than you and I do um, relative to what's going on in the Middle East. Um, 
and you know good bad or indifferent celtic are being branded in a certain way right now um and you know uh being used as a political weapon uh for for you know different reasons uh, and again irregardless independent of what one thinks of any of what's going on in the middle east that you know i could see that theoretically being something that would push the needle as far as a guy like desmond saying this is more trouble than it's worth mm. um so I, I think that's probably because from a financial perspective, you know, uh, Celtic are kind of a rounding error for him. Um, that's that's also why, you know, this idea that he does it for the money or I mean, it's, you know, it, it's just not it's not meaningful in moving the needle for him. Yeah. Um, well, so. before we get into Motherwell, just one final point in this is that it, it, it makes no real sense, in my opinion, to sell Celtic at the minute, or it would be it makes no sense at the minute to to buy Celtic because usually people who invest in football clubs are investing in already distressed assets that they can pump loads of money and then get in and hope for making loads of money. But that's usually in the English leagues where there's loads of money to be made. So making an investment in an already really <laughs> a, a really bloated squad, a really bloated club. Uh, financial wise you're spending more money than you would re- on a regular basis because it's not a distressed asset and then you're also investing in a league that is going to make you absolutely no money uh, not in the future not in the past not with tv revenue and not in europe because the the doors to europe are closed unless you're willing to invest billions into the club which i mean why would you so Unless there's something coming on the European stage, i.e., a Super League or a Super League type, and we don't, we just don't know about that yet. I don't see why any investor would buy Celtic at the minute. Well, it's right. So again, the way these investors, because this is the world I kind of live in, they they think about optionality. So what they don't, they think in probability distributions. So Celtic would actually be a cheap as we call it, call option on some of that stuff, meaning that you are, you would be buying a uh, fortress balance sheet and have the potential upside of something going on within Europe, you know, something with, you know, maybe a two or three tier super league with promotion relegation, that kind of thing, which people have been talking about. Um, The other thing, I mean, you know, we've been talking about it for literally years now is that Celtic is woefully run from a, return on investment perspective relative to player trading and and some of these other things. So if you were someone, you know, who had a game plan to modernize that, you you could see Celtic and saying, okay, because again, this is my world. Benchmarking, we've, we've talked about this, um, is when you benchmark Celtic relative to its actual peer group in player trading, it's been pretty woeful. So that is a untapped you know, income stream that could be leveraged. And there are resources there, not only because of the cash on the balance sheet, but because there is room on the balance sheet to add some debt that wouldn't be imprudent uh, from a financial perspective. Um, So again, from a cold, ruthless third party, like, you know, private equity perspective, I could see those being um, reasonable. But again, I, I don't, I don't see why that by itself would be a driver for Desmond to want to, you know, catalyze a, a, a move. Um, again, to me, it's more so, 
it's just not worth the, the headache anymore, potentially, if he um, decides to get to that point. Mm-hmm. I would say potential yeah, headache. Like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, it's all speculating. Yeah. I mean, they're an obvious, I think, you know, non-complex conspiracy theory type answer is like you say, the club, the club is run by risk averse managers. It's run by essentially an accountant and a lawyer, right? There are no strategic thinkers there running the club. And therefore, you know, this could just be the outcome of having that mindset operating the club on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Could be. We just don't know. Um, so what formation not, are they going to play against Motherwell? We just don't get told. Yeah. Oh, who cares? <laughs> I mean, do you think we're going to go four at the back or three at the back? Or, um... <laughs> one, at, one at the back, CCV, and then nine wingers. CCV and nine wingers, that's what I call for. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So seriously... <laughs> Do we yeah, want to Motherwell. move on to Motherwell game? Or yes, we, yes. Yeah. let's, let's okay. move to yeah, Motherwell here. Okay, uh, so what what changes from last week? Because something does need to change. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be the big question, is what, what does change, if anything, both from a tactical perspective, potentially, but also how that kind of interplays with um, selection. So I think that'll be, you know, uh, very interesting. Um, the evidence to date is that I suspect not anything dramatic, but you know, we'll see, maybe, maybe we'll be surprised. Um, so I, I, you know, in focusing on Motherwell, you know, they're, they're right in line with kind of what's been giving us problems recently. <laughs> so I, again, I think it's a good, a good test in that sense, meaning that they're, you know, definitely performing at a better level than Ross County, who gave us some issues, uh, horrifyingly, uh, and are more kind of in line with where Hibbs has been, um, which is an indictment of Hibbs and a credit to Motherwell. Um, you know, kind of similar to Aberdeen, although different. You know, they don't have the weapons at Aberdeen, particularly with the guy they lost uh, on loan. I think he left and went into Sturm Graz. Um, if I said that right, I'm not up on my Swiss. Um, so, yeah, I. I think the most the interesting thing when I look back at them is that they don't they haven't really man marked McGregor, which I think you know that'll be interesting and could be a a, a ray of hope for us if we kind of persist with the um, the status quo. And um, but you know they've they're they're proficient on set pieces, but they don't get a lot of them. They actually have the least amount of set pieces in the league. And if you look at how they've scored against us in the prior two games, you know, kind of long throws and a corner. Um, so, you know, to me, to me, it's one of these games where right back to where we were for Kilmarnock, which is should win, should be a comfortable kind of two, three nil or, you know, three, one type of game. But, you know, the, the bounce of the ball gives them a couple of corners. And, I, you know, I, if they get five corners, I kind of would expect them to score once. I mean, that would be my kind of base case, just the way things are shaking out right now. Um, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it, it's kind of status quo across the board with that sliver of hope. That, oh, the other sliver of hope is that Kelly has objectively been terrible this season. Yes. And generally, he's not a very good keeper um, from a actual keeper play perspective. He's, he's a pretty good long kicker. To his credit, you know, he does a decent job with his distribution as a long ball playing uh, kicking keeper. But yeah, he's he can be pretty woeful 
from a shot stopping perspective. So between McGregor and Kelly, I mean, them not man marking McGregor if they don't do that and Kelly being pretty woeful, I'm reasonably optimistic <laughs> on a relative basis if there yeah. is if there is such a thing right now. The the set piece thing is pretty interesting. I um ever since that person left the comment saying I need to stop referencing English football, I keep Oh uh, you do you be you and I'm going, to, I'm going to do it anyway. Um stick to football, the Roy Keane and Gary Neville and Jimmy Carr her podcast. Really interesting. But they had uh, they were talking about uh, the set piece situation in the Premier League right now, and how Man City are the best set piece uh, defenders and attackers in the league, and how back in the day it used to be a situation where the like that used to be your opportunity as a as a worst team or as a team at the bottom of the table to you know as a AFC, AFC Wimbledon or whoever it is to capitalize on set pieces because that's where you get could get momentum and how that's no longer a proficient tactic because if you're not actually getting any set pieces in the first place, like Man City give away the least amount of corners to begin with, then you're not, it doesn't matter if you spend two days during the week practices on corners because you're not going to get them. So there's no, that, that part of your game is actually going out. So Alan, what I'm saying is Celtic just need to not give away any corners to Motherwell or free kicks in, in dangerous positions. I don't trust them not to do that, but, um, in, a, in more real terms against Motherwell, what I do think they need to do is take the lead early and score a second goal because... Play Celtic, on for dear life. Yeah, Celtic after 1-0 <laughs> drives me insane this season. It's 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 like, I, I no longer trust Celtic to actually... I would trust them more at 0-0 to win the game than at 1-0. <laughs> yeah, listen, uh, in terms of that then, so Motherwell are not... Uh, one of the league's great pressing teams. So, in that, in the sense of being forced into errors in in our own defensive third, that's less likely against this team. Who, in all other respects, as James says, you know, sadly for Scottish football, in my view, kind of are very similar to, and play a very similar way to the uh, most of the other clubs in the league. It's all a little bit samey, unfortunately, in terms of it's they're going to play a variant of three five two. It's going to be very long ball orientated, right? Um, you know, yawn, yawn, yawn. Okay, so, but you know, this, listen. On one, on the one hand, this is how you can play with stats. You could say, well, since the ninth of December, they've only lost to the Rangers and to Hearts. But on the other hand, uh, they've only actually won two out of the last twenty-two matches in the league, and that was at home to Ross County Livingston, who are demonstrably the worst teams in the league. So, listen, this isn't a great side. Um, you know, they're, in fact, in fact, yeah, as James says, they're actually ninth in the league in terms of generating XG from set pieces. So, um, and that, as James says, that's probably a volume thing. Um, they, 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 they are the wrong end of XG at both ends of the pitch. They're scoring less than what the XG model says they should. They're conceding more than what they probably uh, should. Um, they actually are a little anomaly. One few of the stats that does stand out. Because as I say, in all other respects, they're so achingly mid-table in all respects. It's it's quite dull actually. But they they they're actually third in the league for generating what um, what Opta call big chances. So Celtic have uh, have actually um, you know generated a hundred. I think Motherwell, which is the most in the league actually, Motherwell are on fifty, which is the third highest. And that just that could just be a, st- a statistical anomaly to be honest with you, because the rest of the league are all pretty much within that fifty forty sort of range really. Um, so listen, as as 
um, the, the, what they are good at is they don't tend to get caught on the counter-attack a lot, which is something that Celtic have been more proficient at. The defenders tend to defend. Uh, they don't overcommit. They, they play quite deep as well. That's, that's a great point, Alan. To me, that's what stood out to me was that they are probably the best um, non-Celtic or Rangers team in, in defending against transitions. Yeah, and they're decent in the counter-attack as, as well, um, again, compared yep. to the league. Um, and we'll come to, to the reason for that in, in a second. But just to ha- just to put a bit more meat on the bones in terms of what James was talking about, Liam Kelly, um, you know, we, we mentioned last week about how Hearts are benefiting from poor opposition play rather than being brilliant themselves. Um, Motherwell's opponents have only got 29% of shots on target, which is which only Hearts have a, have a lower number. And yet, um, you know, the worst in the league for on-target conversion is Motherwell. So the only lowest, second lowest in the league for getting shots on target. But once you get a shot against on target against Motherwell, forty percent of them go in. That's how bad Liam Kelly is, or or he's just been terrible. Maybe they've all gone in the top corner. But having watched Kelly, he's he's not a great shot stopper. So um, in terms of you know, listen, they've got two really good performing players that Celtic need to watch out for, and they're and they're both in the in the final third. The striker uh, Theo Bear, uh, he's got ten goals off of seven seven and a half xg. Some of those are penalties. And that's the reason for that overperformance, uh, but he's very much in form in terms of as a striker. And he's he's again he's, he's a, a big he's a lad. big dude. He's, <laughs> he's a big dude. The type that you know, causes our small centre backs no end of issues. Um, and then I think I think to me uh, Blair Spittle is arguably the best midfielder in the league outside of the top two teams uh, over the last couple of years. I would say he's got five goals, eight assists off of uh, f- just over four. Um, XG and 6XA. Uh, um, Bear and Spittle have accounted for 26 out of the 66 goals and assists that uh, Motherwell have racked up in the league this season. So they are they are absolutely the threat. And they, ca- they carry a decent threat on the counter. Bear's, Bear's got decent pace. Spittle's very clever, good passer of the ball. So that, that's where the danger is. But honestly, this is a really average side. It's it's more about you know can Celtic conquer the, the the demons of 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 the you know lack of confidence and composure that has been creeping into the play in the last few weeks and if if Johnson and Carter Vickers are fit enough to start that will obviously bring a, a great deal of solidity back to the side. So what I'm hearing is that Celtic need to return to the famous Neil Lennon tactic of SOS shit on site. <laughs> well, anybody have Ryan Christie's number <laughs> well, this, is the, well, this is the problem the, the, the more shots you take from distance the less likely you are to get them on target so so, 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 so so, no is the answer I will another you know kind of nagging issue and this is, it comes down to uh, you know our good old friend variance is uh, Motherwell takes the most shots from distance in the league yeah, um, and it's it's not a small, you know, they, they love to have a pop, shall we say. And I would say that's probably the aspect of Hart's uh, current state that might be the most um, concerning, meaning that he's struggling. And you see that most prominently from set pieces. But, um, you know, his, his issues with lateral movement, um, you know, so if they get a – and to Town's point, you know, Splittle, uh, Spittle's the kind of guy who can – put one of those on on goal from 18 20 25 yards um and 
you know, the, so they're going to go long. They're going to have a lot of cry, try to create a lot of chaos in that kind of, you know, 18 to 30 yard box of space out in, in front of our, our, uh, keeper area. And, um, you know, they'll, they will have a pop. So that's mm-hmm. the other potential. Yeah. They, don't, they don't have great width. They don't have tricky no. wingers or anything like that. It's, it's going to be very direct and central. Okay. Well, we'll see how that turns out for the partnership with Stephen Welsh and Liam Scales. And so, um, <laughs> we'll see. Well, well the, the, this, the, this would also be another, um, potential coffin corner with, um, you know, Greg Taylor. So I suspect given Kelly's relative proficiency in kicking along, you're going to see a lot of kicks on top mm-hmm. of scales and Taylor's heads. Honestly, though, after the Kilmarnock goal, I'd tech Greg Taylor a million times over Burnaby in the air because, I mean, come on. <laughs> a 10-year-old would have been stronger. Um, that might be a bit harsh. Maybe it was, there was a little bit of a shove. I don't know. Did, did, did the, the Yorkshire whistler analyze that? Was there, was there, did he say it was a push or did he, it was a fair enough? I think he even mentioned the word weak. <laughs> it's quite rare. He doesn't usually criticize players. Never mind referees. Um, and he was pretty scathing, I think, about uh, Burnaby's attempts. Uh, I'm sorry, it was just a bit of a bugbear in mind. I don't want to unpick, end on a, a unpick last weekend. But one of the things I forgot to, to opine on last week's game was that the substitutions that were made actually made complete sense at the time. You know what I mean? They just went wrong. And actually, if you look at Burnaby's performance, other than obviously, crucially, not defending that goal well, he didn't actually do much wrong in the, in the other in the time he was on the pitch. And but, as, but the reason I'm mentioning all this is just as James talked about earlier, it's fascinating how perception um, kind of grows arms and legs, despite actually the, what is largely prosaic nature of most players' performances. <laughs> Anyway. Football's, football's a game about moments, Alan. You know. I know, I know. Yeah. That's, that's the bit that we hold in our head, the highlights mm-hmm. reel. Right, that's where we shall uh, park the podcast for this week. We'll be back again uh, on the channel next week, analysing this game, and hopefully it's analysing a win and not uh, Celtic falling further behind in the table. But we shall wait and see. Alan, James, thanks very much, and thanks to you for listening. We'll chat to you then. Good luck.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.